Well, the scripture this morning is Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. And if you could stand for the reading of God's word. Very interesting scripture this morning. Um, It says, But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others what you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who, do, who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Dean. Well, that's easy. Yeah, right. Huh? We talk about the hard sayings of Jesus. That would have to fit under that. This would that passage would have to fit under that category. Not an easy thing to do. In fact, we're not encouraged to live that way in the world where we live. We're encouraged to get back at people, to get our pound of flesh. And yet we're told in Romans chapter 12, Do not take revenge, my friend, but friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Hmm. Late one summer evening, a weary truck driver pulled his rig into an all-night diner to get some food. The waitress had just served him when three tough-looking, leather-jacketed motorcyclists, the Hells Angels type, walked in and decided to give him a hard time. Not only did they verbally abuse him, but one grabbed the hamburger off his plate, another helped himself to his fries, and the third picked up his coffee and began to drink it. How would you respond? Well, this trucker did not respond in the way you might expect. Instead, he calmly rose, picked up his bill, walked to the cash register, paid, and went out the door. After putting the money in the cash register, the waitress followed him and stood watching out the door as the big truck drove away into the night. When she returned, one of the bikers said to her, Well, he's not much of a man, is he? And she replied, Oh, no, no, I don't know about that, but he sure ain't much of a truck driver. He just ran over three motorcycles on his way out of the parking lot. (laughs) 
I thought he was going to do better than that. (laughs) There are two opposing forces at work in our world today. And those two forces have been opposed to each other since creation. They are love and hate. Love and hate. One brings people together while the other drives people apart. One helps while the other hurts. One is healthy while one is damaging. One is God. The other is Satan. And these two things are total opposites. They are diametrically opposed. What one is, the other isn't. And what one isn't, the other is. When hate fills you up, it eats you up. When love fills you up, it lifts you up. Hate can wipe you out, but love wipes out hate. In 1 John 3.8, it says this, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The work of hate in our world. Every work of the devil, everything that is wrong in our world is related to hate. Hate for God, hate for others, even hate for ourselves. And folks, I tell you today, hate is a killer. Hate is a killer. It didn't take long for murder to strike in the human family. In the very first book of the Bible, it tells the story of the very first family, Adam's family. Man's first violent act is recorded in the fourth chapter of Genesis. Genesis. Cain plotted and slew his brother Abel in cold blood and hid his body in a field. Adam's descendants, his sons, did this one to the other. What motivated Cain to do what he did? He hated his brother. How do you explain the atrocities of someone like Adolf Hitler? Hate motivated Hitler. Why is there such violence in the Middle East today, so much killing that goes on? It's hatred. So we need to be careful because hate has the potential of turning any one of us into a murderer. And you're thinking, that's ridiculous, I could never kill anyone. Well, the Bible says this, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. The Bible teaches that when you hate another person, you already have murder in your heart. Hate is the desire to hurt or to make someone pay. And we see it expressed in name-calling and cruel tricks and harsh criticism and rejection and the undermining of another person's character or reputation. I mean, why do you think they call things like that character assassination? You see, there's more than one way to murder a person. Very often, we can kill someone on the inside without a hand being laid on them. Right? Hate doesn't look good on anyone. It is jealous. It is rude. It is bad-tempered, it is angry, it is bitter, it is mean, it is vindictive. 
Hate has the potential to destroy physical health. Hate destroys all kinds of relationships, including marriages and families and friends. Hate is a killer. And if there's anything Satan loves, and that's probably not the right term, if there's anything that Satan takes delight in, it is hate. Because hate is so destructive. In fact, one of the names Satan's known by is Apollyon, the destroyer. So, what do we do? Well, the Bible tells us that only love can conquer hate. Only love can conquer hate. God's answer to hate was to put love in its place, and He did that by sending Jesus. Love embodied. That's why Jesus died on the cross. See, hate had created an impossible chasm between mankind and God, and the only thing that could bridge that chasm was God's love through Jesus Christ. Jesus' entire earthly ministry was a series of battles between the love of God and the hate of Satan. Hate brought disease and infirmity. Love healed. Hate stole the breath of life away. God gave it back. Hate rejected the hurting, the have-nots, and those who were different. Love accepted unconditionally. Hate caused hunger and thirst, love satisfied. Hate broke relationships, God, God in His love reconciled them. Hate put a thief on the cross for his, his crimes, love ushered him into paradise. Time after time, love overcame hate. It all came down to one final climactic conflict on the cross of Calvary. Hate and rage nailed love to a cross and love in response still loved. Can you imagine? There was no railing against tormentors, no cries of injustice, no threats of revenge. Only this, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Wow. Love one again. No more than that, love conquered. Hate was out of weapons. It had done its very best and love came through victorious. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And by the way, that's the one way love is destructive. Love destroys hate. So it's not surprising that psychiatrist Carl Menninger said this, Love is the basic need of human nature. For without it, love, uh, life is disrupted or destroyed emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically. You see, Carl Menninger figured out something that God already knew. We have got to have love to conquer hate because love is the only thing that can conquer hate. You know, the Bible has more than one word for love, even though that's 
Love is the only word we have for love in the English language, which is kind of difficult sometimes. There is the type of love that tends to be glorified in so many of the entertainments that are out there now. It's a physical thing and a a sexual attraction thing. Um, You know, it's the kind of thing where somebody looks at someone else and it's kind of a lustful thing. That kind of love is referred to as eros in the Bible, from which we get the word erotic. Then there is that type of love that we have for friends. We love friends because we have things in common with them. We love hanging out with friends. They they look after us and we look after them. But that's not the love that Jesus was talking about in the passage that we read this morning. By the way, that kind of love is phileo. Phileo, friendship love, for which the city of Philadelphia gets its name. The city of brotherly love. No, the love that Jesus is talking about in this passage is love that's not deserved. It's love that you decide to give anyway, in spite of. I will love that person even though they are unkind to me. I will love that person even though they push me around. I will love that person even when they take advantage of me. I will choose to love them. That is the love that Jesus is talking about here. It's unconditional love. It's the love that the Bible calls agape. That's how God loves us. In Matthew 5, verses 43 through 44 and verses 46, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Because that's an easy thing to do, isn't it? It's easy to love somebody who loves you. No, Jesus is talking about doing the hard thing here. So we're to do as Jesus did. We're to conquer with love. Conquering love expresses itself when it would seem natural, even appropriate, to do otherwise. In other words, when you respond in love, people would say, why are they doing that in this situation? Jesus is saying that there's nothing special about love that loves those who are easy to love or will return that love. Conquering love is the kind that loves when it isn't easy. That kind of love reaches even to enemies and persecutors. You know, um, I've been working for quite some time on uh, memorizing Romans chapter 12 because I think Romans chapter 12, especially from verse 9 to the end of the chapter, encapsulates somewhat how the Christian life is to be lived. And Paul makes several references to love, from verse, especially from verse 9 on to the end of the chapter. And if you want to turn to Romans chapter 12 for just a moment, we're going to take a look at some verses there. Verse 9 says, Paul starts out this, this section 
of Romans 12 by saying, love must be sincere. What he's talking about is the genuine article. Alright? And, and, and so he's talking about loving like God loves. It's not something that comes or goes, um, you know, when you, I, I love when I'm loved. I love when things are going right. No, it's sincere love. It's genuine. It's not some sort of pretend thing. It's not sort of some simulated thing. It's unfeigned. It's genuine. He begins this passage by saying, love must be sincere. And then he goes on in verse 14 to say, bless those who persecute you Bless and do not curse. That's not easy to do, is it? Um, if you, but love, the love response to hate is to love. Right? The love response to hate is, if you curse your persecutor, you've just lost the battle. And, and I think, I mean, I struggle with this. Maybe you don't, but I do. That's not always my initial response, is to be loving. But see, the, love, the, the Scripture says the love response in a situation like that is to bless, not curse. In verse 17, it says, Do not repay evil for evil. That's exactly what we're encouraged to do in many cases in the culture we live in. And if you watch a television program or a movie where there's just this really jerk bad guy, you cannot wait till he gets it, right? It's almost like the good guy has to be a bad guy to get the bad guy. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. And then in verse 18, it says, Live at peace with everyone inasmuch as you are able. In other words, living at peace is our responsibility. Now, it does not say that the other person, the other side, will respond peacefully. But it does say, live at peace as much as you are able. In other words, it is incumbent upon us to make every effort to live at peace, whether the other person responds to that or not. Whoever said living the Christian life was a crutch and easy? And by the way, let me throw in something here. When you seek to live at peace with someone, they may not always respond in a positive way. I think we probably know that. As much as we might want to live at peace with someone, they may determine in their hearts they don't want to live at peace with us. But nevertheless, we're to do everything in our power to live at peace with them. I'm going to touch on something similar to that in just a moment. Do not take revenge my friends. And I already mentioned this. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Vengeance is God's business. That's not ours. 
That's a hard one too. I'm Because we kind of have this innate sense of what's just. And when we see horrible things happen to others or to us, we just, we want justice. I remember Billy Graham saying this one time, when I stand before God, I'm not going to ask for justice, I'm going to ask for mercy. That needs to be our heart too. Justice, vengeance, revenge, anything. That's God's business. And, and in that passage, it says, um, you know, instead of seeking vengeance, Paul says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Um, now, I think in Sunday school class, um, it was pointed out that if your fire went out, then your neighbor might bring over burning coals, and that was a blessing. But I don't know if putting them on your head is a blessing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, but here's, here's the caution there. If you're forcing yourself... Uh, to be nice when revenge might be what you would like to see happen, in order to make your enemy miserable, you probably have the wrong motivation. Right? You probably have the wrong motivation. Because really what you're doing is seeking revenge of sorts, isn't it? Aren't you? I'm going to be nice to you just so I can make you miserable. Um... But when we do that in the right spirit, because it's the love of God flowing through us, it has a tendency to confound and confuse and baffle. It's like, how does a person respond that way in this situation? See, hate knows how to deal with hate. Hate does not know how to deal with love. It's a problem. Again, Jesus on the cross, what did He do? He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Stephen, when he was stoned, what did he say? Don't hold this against their charge. What? And then Paul ends this passage by saying this, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome or conquer evil with Good. Good is the love response. That's what we do. That's what we're called to do. There was a Christian lady who owned two prize chickens that somehow managed to get out of their pen and escaped into the next door neighbor's garden. Well, this neighbor was kind uh, kind of a grouchy old man and when he saw these two chickens in his garden... He ran outside, he caught them, and he killed them, and he threw them back over the fence into her yard. Well, that makes me mad. I'd just love to get that guy. So how would you feel if if you were the lady who owned the chickens? What would you have done? What should she do? Well, she was pretty upset. 
But she avoided her urge to get angry and go over there and scream at that guy's, in that guy's face. Instead, she took the chickens and cooked them up into two yummy chicken pies. Then she delivered one of the fresh, freshly baked pies to her neighbor who had killed her chickens. And when she handed him the chicken pie, she apologized to him for not being more careful about keeping her chickens in her own yard. She half expected the man to let her have it, but instead he was absolutely speechless. The chicken pie and apology made him feel so bad that he apologized to her for reacting so harshly. Wouldn't it be great if when we responded in kindness and love to people, they responded in kindness to love and love to us, kind of like that guy who felt guilty and, oh, I'm sorry. But let me warn you, it's not always going to happen that way. <clears throat> I remember <clears throat> going to a, um, uh, I don't know, it was a sem- scriptural seminar. Anyway, we were talking about what happens when someone offends us. What do we do with that? What's the, what's, what's the appropriate response? And our appropriate response is to love. And um, this individual said, if you, if you look um, at your life as kind of a pie, and uh, someone uh, offends you, or their life is a pie, let's put it that way, someone offends you, now... Um, you kind of own a piece of their pie because it's kind of like when I'm driving down, well, it wouldn't make any difference on I-25 and go as fast as you want. <clears throat> Maybe if I'm driving down 66 and I'm going 75, I get pulled over and I'm issued a ticket. Now, um, basically, the state of Colorado owns a piece of me until I do something to take care of that ticket, Correct. That's kind of what happens when someone offends you, okay? They're kind of, in a spiritual sense, there's been a ticket written out and, and you kind of own a piece of them, so to speak. And there's two things you can do with that. You can make them pay the, pay the fine or you can give that piece of pie to God. And when you turn that over to God, that's a place in their lives now where he has permission to work because you've just turned it over to him. You responded in love. You didn't get your pound of flesh. You didn't demand payment for the ticket. You turned that over to God, and that's a place in, in their lives. Now, let me tell you something about that, though. <clears throat> People don't always get really nice and sweet when God is at work in their lives. Sometimes they get plumb miserable and nasty and cranky and mean because that's how they're feeling. They're uncomfortable. They don't like the conviction they're under and things like that. So I just warn you, if, if that's what you do with people and you respond in love and state, instead of taking your piece of the pie and exacting your own revenge and God goes to work there, things might get worse before they get better. See what I'm saying? I mean, we've all been under conviction before, and we may not have been the most person, uh, pleasant person around when we were under conviction either. Because it's uncomfortable, we don't like it much. <clears throat> well, love has many faces. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, you know what that passage talks about? It's the fruit of the Spirit. And it begins with this word, love. Then it says joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I think all those things are the faces of love. I think that's why love is the first thing listed there. I think all of these things come out of love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the faces of love. And that's, those are the faces that people need to see in the lives of Christ followers. <clears throat> Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with these things. <clears throat> Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bear with each other, and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And here it is again, this word. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity because those things spring out of love. Love is the basis for what Paul has just listed there. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, forbearing and forgiving. We do that because of love. Right? Let me... Let me share this illustration with you as we wind this down this morning. In his book, The Grace of Giving, Stephen Olford tells of a Baptist pastor during the American Revolution. He had written about a Nazarene pastor, but we didn't exist then, so... Stephen Olford tells of a Baptist pastor during the American Revolution. His name was Peter Miller. He lived in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, and he enjoyed the friendship of George Washington. In Ephrata also lived a man named Michael Whitman, an evil-minded man who did all he could to oppose and humiliate the pastor. One day, Michael Whitman was arrested for treason and sentenced to die. Peter Miller traveled 70 miles on foot from his home in Ephrata to Philadelphia to plead for the life of the traitor, this guy who was a thorn in his flesh. He, 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 he brought his plea to General Washington. Washington said, No, Peter, I cannot grant you the life of your friend. My friend, exclaimed the pastor, he's the bitterest enemy I have. What? cried Washington. You've walked 70 miles to save the life of an enemy? That puts the matter in a different light. I'll grant your pardon. And he did. Peter Miller took Michael Whitman back home to Ephrata, no longer an enemy, but a friend. That is love that conquers. It's not easy. And by the way, it's not humanly possible to love that way. You probably knew that, didn't you? It is only when we have surrendered to our lives to God and the Holy Spirit empowers us that we can love that way. It is God living in us and His love flowing through us. And that kind of love is world-changing 
Because love conquers hate. Amen? Pray with me. Father God, your calling on our lives is a high calling. But thank you that we have the perfect example of what it means to love the way we've talked about today. To love with love that conquers hate, we have the perfect example in Jesus Christ himself. And Father, I think we all realize that this is an area that we struggle with at times. And part of it is cultural influence. For so often, we are encouraged not to love when we're hated, but to hate back when we're hated. Which is not what you've called us to. It's a lie. We as your people are to live the life of Christ in our world, which means we are to love them with an unconditional, with agape love. Love that's not deserved. Love that's not earned. Love that loves when we're offended or abused or taken advantage of or persecuted or done evil against. But Father, that kind of love is impactful. It's love that's life-changing. It's love that's world-changing. Because that kind of love conquers hate. And Father, that's the kind of love that our community needs. I think that's the kind of love that, I don't know if we talked about in that context, but that's the kind of love that will solve the gun violence problem that's in our nation. It's the kind of love that we need to show our neighbors. But it's the kind of love that is risky. It's the kind of love that's uncomfortable for us sometimes. And yet that's exactly what you've called us to. And we know, Father, it's not in us of ourselves. It's only in us as your Holy Spirit dwells in and has control of our lives. And then we become channels for the love of God to others. And so just <clears throat> in a, just in some moments of quiet this morning. Let's take a moment to ask God or to commit to God our willingness, first of all, to love like that and then to allow Him to love through us like that. And to commit to be sensitive and obedient to the voice of the Spirit so that when those things in our lives happen to us that cause us to want to respond to hate with hate, that the Holy Spirit will be at work in us and speak to us and flow through us so that we can respond with love. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's commit to that this morning and ask Lord God be at work in me so that I can love the way you've called me to love.
Oh God, may we as your people, through the power of the Holy Spirit, be conduits of your unconditional agape love to those around us, whether they're friendly, whether they're hateful, whether they're kind or unkind, whether they curse, curse us, persecute us, or are friendly to us, whatever it may be, may we be conduits of your unconditional love to others, to love people like you have loved us and like Jesus loved in the example he set for us when he walked this earth. And Father, as we do that, we will trust you then to work in the lives of those we encounter with this love to change their hearts as well. For love, like you love, truly is the answer for our world. And we thank you that you have chosen to use us and will as we're committed to be obedient to you. And we pray these things today in the strong name of Jesus who loves us with an everlasting love. Amen.